Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome heathens! Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries, but I promise all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, we have another interesting listener suggestion. So without further ado, let's get down to it. With that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So choose your poison accordingly. And I insist, it's my birthday. You have a drink on me. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say Roanoke? That's going to be a single shot. And every time I say Virginia, that's going to be a double shot. All right, now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. So let's don our best big buckle outfit and an oversized pilgrim hat and grab a big old basket of maize for good measure as we dive deep into the very first American mystery, the lost colony of Roanoke, and the ghost story of Virginia Dare. Yes, both of these stories go together, my darlings, and you're going to love it. Anyways, all right, let's go. Over 30 years before the Pilgrims even landed at Plymouth Rock, a group of 117 weary men, women, and children waded ashore and made history on Roanoke Island in July 1587. 
establishing the first attempted settlement of its kind in the Americas. Recruited by Sir Walter Raleigh, among these settlers were John White, his pregnant daughter Eleanor Dare, her husband Aeneas Dare, and the Indian chief Mantillo, who had become an English ally during a previous visit to Britain. They unloaded their belongings and supplies and repaired an old fort previously erected on the island. On August 18, 1587, Eleanor Dare gave birth to a daughter that she named Virginia, thus earning the distinction of being the first English child born on American soil. Ten days later, John White departed for England, promising to return with more supplies. It was the last time he would ever see his family again. Three years later, John White finally returned to Roanoke Island on his granddaughter's third birthday, only to find the settlement deserted, plundered, and surrounded by overgrown bush. On one of the palisades, he found the single word Croatoan carved into the surface and the letters C-R-O carved into a nearby tree. White took the carving as a sign that the colonists had moved inland to Croatoan, the home of Chief Mantillo's people, south of Roanoke in the outer banks of what is present-day Hatteras Island. Before he could make further exploration, however, a great hurricane arose, damaging his ships and forcing him back to England. Despite repeated attempts, he was never able to raise the funding or the resources to make the trip to America again. Raleigh had given up hope of settlement, and White died many years later on one of Raleigh's estates, ignorant to the fate of his family or the colony. The 117 pioneers of Roanoke Island had vanished into the great wilderness and into folklore. A small barrier island that is only eight miles in length, Roanoke rests on the northern coastal tip of North Carolina. Wet but seemingly fertile, the island was not the first choice of John White, the then governor of the colony, when he and his settlement of 117 souls, 97 men, 17 women, and 9 boys made landfall on that July 1587. After all, it had already been the site of a previous colony that was lost to dangerous forces. While the white colony is viewed as the first serious attempt by the English to place a permanent foothold in the New World, as you know, Spain was already plundering plenty further south, hint hint Florida, it was in actuality the culmination of nearly a decade of false starts. Queen Elizabeth I originally granted a patent to one Sir Humphrey Gilbert in 1578 to discover remote, heathen, and barbarous lands not held by any Christian ruler or people. In other words, if Spain hasn't set foot there yet, call dibs as quick as you can, right? Unfortunately for Gilbert, that ended abruptly in a shipwreck during his second expedition to the New World. After his death, half-brother Walter Raleigh took over the patent that included potential tracts of land that spanned all the way from Spanish Florida to the Arctic. In 
Prior to John White's doomed decision to set up residency in Roanoke, the Barrier Islands proved very attractive to parties sponsored by Raleigh, who never himself stepped foot in North America. Conversely, White was on the first of Raleigh's two earlier charters to Roanoke, the second of which ended in another lost colony of sorts. That eventual bloodbath was headed by Sir Richard Greenville in name, but led to infamy by the hawkish Ralph Lane. For in 1585, Greenville transported a military force onto Roanoke to set up a fort before returning home for supplies. Following the previous expedition, Englishmen had initially positive relations with nearby Native Americans, including the Roanoke and Croatoan tribes, both of whom had representatives travel with White to England to meet Elizabeth's court. They were named Juanchez and Manteo, but the friendly tidings did not last. Lane would lead two separate bloody warpaths against Native American villages over a matter of months. Local hostilities became so violent with attacks on the fort that when England's beloved Sir Francis Drake passed by as a literal ship in the night, Lane and his men abandoned Roanoke, including three poor bastards on an expedition in the woods to the natives and caught the big boat home to England. By the time Grenville returned, he found the Lane colony abandoned, and three Christian souls vanished. So he left another 15 men behind to defend the remnants of his failed enterprise with two years' worth of food before hightailing it back to England himself. No white man ever saw the fighting 15 alive again, and unfortunately they perished. Hence, when the white colony landed in Roanoke to pick up those 15 and found only the remains of what was a massacre, they had little reason to want to stay. Unfortunately, ship captain Simon Fernandez forced White to abandon his initial plan to sail further north and place a settlement in Chesapeake Bay, which in modern-day Virginia would eventually become the site of the first successful English colony, Jamestown. Instead, White and company were compelled to set up shop and repair relations with the locals as fast as possible, especially since colonist George Howe was killed a brief nine days after landing by American Indians while crabbing along the shoreline. White, unlike Lane, at least temporarily soothed relations by having Mantillo, who was now the first Native American to be baptized as a Protestant, make peace between the colony and the Croatoans, his native tribe living on Hatteras Island. Intriguingly, Wanchese went a different way than Mantillo, souring toward the English as an invading force. Legend has it he even participated in the force that killed Greenville's unlucky 15. In the meantime, though, White's colony seemed to be able to flourish where Lane's failed. Unlike Lane, White led a group of families that were not employees. They each had a grant and thus a stake in the success of this grand enterprise. White, originally an artist himself on his first expedition, who drew maps and paintings of locals, even had the bragging rights of being the grandfather to the first Protestant soul born in the New World a literal face for America's future promise. 
That's right, Virginia Dare was born on August 18, 1587, to White's daughter Eleanor Dare and Ananias Dare. More on her story at the end of our Roanoke tale, but on August 27th, White left his colony, daughter, and newborn granddaughter for England because the colonists arrived too late to plant crops and desperately needed new supplies. The governor departed with the hopes of being back for winter in the new year. He didn't return for three winters. By the time he stepped foot again on Roanoke on August 18, 1590, the 117 colonists had vanished like ghosts, and his granddaughter would have been three years old to the day. John White desperately wished to return to Roanoke and his family, but due to the burgeoning war between Elizabeth's England and the Spanish Armada, White couldn't mount a successful sea voyage for years. By the time he returned, the fort was overgrown with grass and roots, guns lay strewn about across the cold ground, and chests once buried deep to protect valuables lay broken and bare, with their cherished books, pictures, and belongings withering in the sun. White had provided a coded signal to his colonists to leave in case of danger, a carved cross in a tree. However, he found two very different carvings upon his return. One tree had the letters CRO etched into its bark, and another more explicitly read Croatoan. White's personal belief, which still remains one of the most convincing, was this meant they had gone to live with Mantillo's people on Croatoan Island, now present-day Hatteras Island. However, old John never could verify that since an approaching storm forced him to protect his two ships and return home to England. He never mounted another rescue attempt and died three years later. There are plenty of theories about why they vanished, including starvation, slaughter by hostile Native Americans, murder by hostile Spanish soldiers, a variety of exodus stories, or some combination of all of them. The potentially worst appealing is that the CRO was short for Croatoan, the island where the colonists were presumably forced to adapt to the Native American lifestyle. Indeed, John Lawson, an English explorer and naturalist, wrote a century later in his 1709 work, A New Voyage to Carolina, that he met Croatoans living on Hatteras Island who claimed to be descended from white settlers. He confirmed he believed as much due to them having gray eyes. Currently, the Lost Colony for Science and Research at Williamston is attempting to verify this by searching for arcane European-English DNA strands in the descendants of Crotoans. Similarly, East Carolina University's 1998 book, The Crotoan Project, might have corroborated this narrative since the group found a 10-carat gold signet ring from the 16th century on Hatteras Island. Some genealogists have since claimed the lion crest on it is supposedly traceable to the Kindle coat of arms, and a master Kindle was said to be one of the men Ralph Lane left to rot in 1586. Conversely, others theorized that the colonists attempted to move to the much more commercially viable Chesapeake Bay, White's original destination, but were long dead by the time Jamestown was actually founded in this location. 
This version is heavily influenced by James Smith, famed for being supposedly saved by Pocahontas, who claimed in 1608 that Powhatan, chief of the Powhatan tribe and father to Pocahontas, said they killed white colonists who by the turn of the century were living in modern-day Virginia with a group of Chesapeake natives. William Strachey, secretary of Jamestown from 1610 to 1611, later added to this version of events, claiming that Powhatan asserted he personally led the killings. Perhaps even most curious is the Dare Stone, which was discovered in 1937 by the Chowan River and about 65 miles west of Roanoke. The stone was believed to be authentic by several ac academics at Emory University here in the great state of Georgia, until the thirst for more stones led to 40-some forgeries between 1938 and 1941. However, modern historians have begun speculating that the original Chowan stone might be authentic, such as David Levere in the North Carolina Historical Review stated. The stone, at least, seems to have authentic Elizabethan English, unlike other blatant frauds, and provides a more believable historic record of events. The colonists moved further west, past wetlands, until a horrific Native American attack in 1591 killed most of the settlers, including Anias Dare and a four-year-old Virginia Dare. The stone acted as the last word of Eleanor Dare, signed E.W.D., painting a grim final portrait of the seven survivors lost in the woods. However, there's plenty of reason to keep that stone, which has inspired dozens of hoaxes, as well as any other theory about, Re about Roanoke as just that, a theory, one that attempts to understand the mysterious fates of those lost in America's first blind steps in the dark. But now we move on to the legend of Virginia Dare, the White Doe. The most famous ghost that is said to haunt the shores of North Carolina and pop culture in equal measures is the spirit of Virginia Dare, the new world's first Christian wild child. The sweet babe likely never survived infancy, but her name is immortal. She has been the subject of numerous romance and supernatural novels, including the rather cringe-inducing 1908 book, The Daughter of Virginia Dare, where Virginia is revealed to be the secret mother of Pocahontas. A later 1930 novel would, in contrast, place Virginia in a love triangle with John Smith and the teenage Pocahontas. Interesting. But the most famous legend of Dare is one from colonial North Carolinian folklore that is alleged to have been passed down over 300 years and was eventually immortalized in Sally Southall Cotton's long narrative poem, The White Doe, The Fate of Virginia Dare, from 1901. In Cotton's preface, she stresses that folklore and myth are as important as actual history, and she asserts her romantic poem is the first American myth, predating chopped cherry trees and chopping headless horsemen alike. In this version of events, Wanchese planned to slaughter the Roanoke colony after John White's departure. But as luck would have it, Mantillo gets wind of the scheme and rescues most of the colonists before Wanchese strikes. In the aftermath, the survivors assimilate into Croatoan culture, and in that natural world, 
Virginia Dare grows up to be an adored maiden known as Winona Ska. A beauty marked by grace, Winona Ska enchants all, including the Crotoan chieftain's son, Okisko. They plan to marry, but an evil aging witch doctor named Chico wants Winona Ska for himself. When she rejects the latter, he transforms her into a white doe. Armed with magical pearl arrows, Okisko subsequently intends to pierce her heart and regain her human form. Unfortunately, just as he looses his bow, Wanchesi's son simultaneously seeks the glory of killing the charmed deer with an arrow of silver, one given to his father by Elizabeth I. On the fateful day, both pierce Virginia Doe's heart, transforming her back but killing her instantly. Okisko thus prays for his lover's resurrection, which occurs only on the condition that she is again turned into a doe of soft eyes and a gentle heart. To this day, North Carolinians claim to see a white doe haunt the woods of the Outer Banks. Neil Gaiman, one of my favorite writers, took the Virginia Dare myth to heart and most amusingly to his wild imagination in Marvel 1602. There, Roanoke is featured prominently and is never lost. Virginia Dare is even its enchanted emblem, who can turn into white deer, white dogs, white horses, and occasionally a white griffin. Well, it's Neil Gaiman. You've got to give him some leeway. I'm sorry, he's fabulous. Marvel 1602 was a fascinating and underrated limited series by Gaiman and Adam Kubert that was published back in 2003. Set in the twilight of Elizabethan England, where the, the empire is chaotically transitioning from one monarch, monarch to the dastardly King James of Scotland, Gaiman conjures an amusing scenario. What if the Marvel superheroes, created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko, arrived during the era of Shakespeare and Marlowe, as opposed to Lennon and McCartney? In this alternate history, Roanoke has thrived onward because a blonde-haired and blue-eyed Native American by the name of Rojas came to them as they were starving during their first winter. Rojas convinced previously hostile natives to share food with the colony and personally hunt on their behalf, saving all 117 souls. It is later revealed that Rojas is not a Native American, but the Captain America character that got lost in a time ta travel stream that landed him in 1587. He has since stayed in Roanoke helping the colonists and personally guarding Virginia Dare, who takes on a blue-eyed, silver-haired effervescence, representing the literal hope of America's destiny. Indeed, this Steve Rogers comes from a dystopic United States with a politician who has made himself president for life. So Cap hopes to live up to America's full potential by riding the ship in her very first steps on Roanoke. Consequently, Elizabethan versions of the X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Avengers all ultimately make the journey to Roanoke, helping the colony thrive and embracing the character's undeniable American roots. At the end of the story, Charles Xavier and Reed Richards' ancient counterparts even discussing declaring Roanoke independent from England and returning to the dormant ideals of democracy. 
In this context, history has changed, and Virginia Dare does not die but finds hope for a better American future while walking into the sunset with a smitten Peter Parkow, surprisingly, who had just been bitten by a strangely glowing spider. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> it represents wonderful potential that Spider-Man 1602 later squanders by having Virginia Dare still killed as a doe and seen, sending Peter Parker back to the old world to spider-crawl around King James London. But, you know, Neil Gaiman didn't write that story, so the less we say of it, the better. Because, like I said, he's a genius, and most of us are not. Anyways, my darlings, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, it was my birthday present to myself because it's one of my favorite stories. So with that, we have come to the end of the episode. And I thank you for joining me here today. I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think of today's story. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you just want to tell me what you think, you're bored, you need someone to talk to, or if you want to wish me a happy birthday, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time I have for you this evening. Thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it. Don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.